Open your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. And I know sometimes, like, I kind of yank this all around and you know, Haggai and my, whatever. Today, it's just going to be James and Proverbs, so you're welcome. Those are the only two books we're going to be in, but we're going to be in them a lot. James 1, 5 through 8. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. I don't know about you, but do you feel like you're drowning in information these days. Like, there's no shortage of opinions of... We, uh, it was a while back, I don't know if you remember this, we, uh, we had a dog uh, that was sick. I don't even remember what was wrong with him. I don't... You have to narrow it down, right? Uh, but Shannon posted, hey, we have some troubles with the dog, and anybody have any opinions? <laughs> and I don't think you... I don't have to tell you what's happened. We got lots of opinions. Rub some oil on it. Uh... You shouldn't even own a dog if you're not willing to take it to the vet immediately. <laughs> lots of opinions. Lots of knowledge. But at the end of the day, I don't know. He's a sick dog. What do we do? And, and the difference between knowledge and wisdom is really that. Knowledge, we could be dogpiled, no pun intended, with knowledge. But what do we do about it is the question. How do we weave it together? There's lots of instruments and voices on the stage, but of themselves, they're just instruments and notes. But together, somehow they create music. Wisdom is the music of knowledge. Wisdom is when all these loose ends come together and create what I'm supposed to do, the guidance of it. A lot of us right now, I would bet in this room if I were to ask, and you, there are situations right now in front of you that you don't, know what to do. Perishing from a lack of wisdom. You have all the information, and the last thing you need to do is go Google it again. I think that they ought to outlaw Google in hospitals. You sit in there, you're Googling, well, I could either be a brain tumor or I could have a sinus infection, and I don't know. <laughs> it all seems the same. But your whole world is flipped upside down. You know all these things, but what you didn't know, and I don't know how many of you guys came and flipped the map over today, because what you knew was that all those countries were there, but it was upside down. You had the information, just the wisdom said, well, it's, it's upside down. And I would bet right now in this room that some of our worlds are completely upside down, and we're just looking for what do we do? And that's the promise of wisdom, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about these next few weeks, which is that God's word has a lot to say. Now, whether you take this job or not, do I buy this car? What do I do with this kid that I think I'm losing? What do I do with this little baby that won't shut up? I don't know. I, all these questions, but what do I do with it? And the Bible says that all that knowledge can be woven together, not by information, but by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to talk about. How do we weave all this together? Father, would you give us insight into your word this morning? And um, you said it would be a lamp. You said it would be a light. And that's our prayer this morning, our prayer, that your promises would be true in our lives today. We know the path. We just need some illumination for it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I, uh, I walked into a restaurant about four weeks ago. I was meeting a fellow pastor in town. 
and it was like in West Haven. You West Haven people? I, I, yeah, back there, represent. So you got this new pub over there, and I never know how long it's going to take me to get to West Haven. It's either going to take me 20 minutes or 45. I don't. So I leave early because I don't want to be that guy, and I got there early. And I'm the only guy in the restaurant except for one other lone dude in the whole restaurant, and this nice little helpful, uh, earnest little hostess sits me. It was honestly like, here's Art. It was like she sat me like this with the guy. I'd never met the guy. <laughs> and so he leans over, and, I, and my initial thought was, well, I gotta, what did I, why did I even let her do that? This, and the guy leans over and says, well, this is awkward. And, oh. Uh, to which, I, to which I said, yeah, we can't, the people are going to start talking. <laughs> we can't let them, you know, see us like this. And so, uh, we're, we're, and then we just went to our phones, because that's what dudes do. It's like running into each other in the bathroom, no eye contact, don't talk to me, we'll talk outside. So we're, you know, but his, his meeting comes in, and it turns out it's a friend of mine who I'd known like for 25 years, and he's a band manager, and so we're, now we are catching up. So it's, you know, me and Art side by side, and Zach across from me, and we're talking, and Finally, I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. I, I, I know you're supposed to meet this guy. I'm gonna, I'll move so you guys can have your meeting. And, and he said, hey, well, before you go, uh, th- what I do, I have this ministry in Montana that uh, is called Refuge Ministry, and we take people, we take pastors specifically, get them to unplug for a weekend, and we take them fly fishing. And, uh, and we pay for it all. Do you want to go? As it turns out, yes. <laughs> so that little earnest hostess, I should have hugged her. I don't know, I should have tipped her. And so that's where I was last weekend when you're like, where was Darren? And by the way, these shirts that I buy for missionary work because I can sweat through them as a full-figured man, these are fishing shirts. <laughs> and they work perfectly. So I look like I knew what I was doing. Like, oh, he's a fisherman. No, in truth, I've only, I've like bass fished and whatever, but I've never fly fished in my entire life. And so we went to the Bighorn River. I don't know if anybody's been up that way before, but oh my goodness, of course Tim has. Uh, Bighorn River, middle of nowhere, no cell phone service, and we fished 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day. Here's how, if you've got a little bit of the ADD, this fly fishing is it. Because you can, there's no sitting and set it and forget it. You are constantly engaged. There's stuff and you're, you're flying and moving. And so I literally, this will, if you know me, you'll, you'll appreciate this. I literally lost track of time. I never lose track of time. Even in Africa, I'm aware that we're two hours late. <laughs> it was 5.45 one day. We just got out of this honey hole where it was like just fish after fish after fish. And I finally looked at the time for the very first time. It could have been 1 o'clock or 8 o'clock, and I had no idea, and it was like 6 p.m. So, but the cool thing is we were, as we were on this journey, I didn't have uh, a lot to do but fly fish and be with me and Jesus. And as I was seeking the, the God's word for today, even this morning it came to me that, wow, that whole fly fishing thing was the perfect metaphor for the way that God guides us. And I didn't even realize it. Because when you're on the river, the river's just taking you where it's going. I'm on a boat, and I've got a guide. And it was all those three things that set up the perfect day, or three days, of fly fishing for me. And as you're thinking about what God's wisdom is and how he guides you, as we dig in, and it's going to take a couple weeks, so might as well get comfortable, but it's, it's, I hope today when we leave that you actually are, you feel relaxed 
and that you feel at peace. Because the way that God guides us is beautiful and calm and without fail. And so if you've got questions right now, what do I do in this specific situation? Might I ask you to disengage from the specifics of it and engage with what God's word says about what it looks like to be guided by God on the journey that he's taken us on. And it's about the river, the boat, and the guide. (laughs) You, You see, with God's guiding, I think that he does it two ways, I believe. You might think there's more, but I think I could narrow them down that he leads us paradoxically and that he leads us unobtrusively. Unobtrusive is non-obvious. It's, you, know, you don't notice it, but it's, it's happening. There were moments on the boat where I thought we were sitting still, but we weren't. We were moving. It wasn't obvious, especially when I'm engaged in the fish thing. I would look up, and next thing I know, we've gone like a half a mile, and I didn't even realize it because it was not obvious. But he was, the boat was uh, being led by the river non-obviously and paradoxically. And if you've got your Bibles open, would you go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 21, and verse 5, because I want to show you the paradoxical part first. By the way, I think that this is my opinion, and you're welcome to be wrong uh, and disagree, but my opinion, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> it's a little early. My opinion is that you find God in the paradox. You find Satan in the madness. When you look at something, whether it's political or geopolitical, and you think, how is it possible? That is crazy. It's like if you're telling me this wall is red, and you are 100% convinced it's red, but it's not, it's gray. (laughs) The lighting, you know what I'm saying? It's maddening if you're going to stand there and say it's red when it's not. The reason it's maddening is that, is that they're wrong, but the reason when you see that, in, whether it's in culture or in scripture, you see the maddening part, it's because they are deceived, and deception simply means to be, uh, believe something that's false, that's true, or vice versa. So the madness is where Satan thrives, but the paradox is where God comes alive. And here's what I mean by the paradox. Psalm, or, uh, Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Now, if you look just a couple chapters earlier at chapter 16, verse 33, he says that the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So one of these seems to say that your choices matter, and the other one says, do you you know what casting a lot means? If you don't, it was like the biblical equivalent of a magic eight ball. Uh, Flipping a coin, maybe be more appropriate. We just flip the coin and whatever. And what what this says here is that God is in those details that when you cast the lot, that God is controlling which side the coin lands on. But on this other side, he's saying, but the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to to, uh, poverty. And the question is, is, which is right? Do my choices matter? And I'm mapping out my future? Or is God fixed it all and it doesn't matter how hard I try? In chapter 16, verse 1 of Proverbs, go back to the first verse. The human, to humans belong the plans of the heart. But from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. And then down in verse 9, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord 
establishes their steps. Verse 1, the plans of man belong, uh, the heart of the plans of the man belong uh, to the man, the, those plans, and in his heart, <laughs> am I dehydrated? Is it? Take a deep breath. I'm very excited about this whole thing. In their hearts, humans plan their course. Your plans are yours. That's what he's saying. The outcome is his. And so the question isn't, do your choices matter? Yes, absolutely they do. Your choices, when you make decisions and choices, they matter. And the consequences, they're yours to bear and they ought to be. But on the other side, the Lord, it says, establishes their steps. In our human minds, we need this to be 50-50. I, I, I promise you that's what I need it to be. I need it to be, it's half me and half him. But the Bible knows nothing of that. The Bible says it's 100% and 100%. And it doesn't make God smaller, it makes him bigger. And a God big enough, uh, small enough to be understood is not big enough to be worshipped. And I understand this is intellectually difficult to hold on to, right? Like, I don't know if your brain right now is doing it, but mine is like running all the, the scenarios. And you're not alone because in, in human history, this is a part of our life. You have to choose one or the other. This Armenianism and Calvinism debate didn't start today. It started in Greek mythology. It started in culture. It started in, do you remember Oedipus? Everybody remembers Oedipus, right? The story of Oedipus in Greek mythology. He was born and it was prophesied that Oedipus was going to kill his father and marry his mother, Gross. Yeah, let that sink in for a moment. Oedipus, from this mythology, does everything he can to not make this prophecy come true, but everything he does ends up failing and he ends up killing his father, and marrying his mother. So on the right side of this, it says that, yeah, you know, it's fatalism. There's nothing you could do, no choices. It's, it's going to happen no matter what. And what does that do? It causes us to be cynical and passive. But on the other side, another character from ancient history, ancient mythology, Marty McFly. <laughs> How does he end the movie? It's your future. Make it a good one. You, the choice is up to you. Make it a good one. And don't you, like me, you go, ah. Because that's what you believe. That's what I believe, right? If, uh, if this is my future, that's what we're telling kids. It's what, we're, it's what American Idol says. If you only believe, don't give up on your dreams. Just believe. And then it'll happen for you. Because you're, you believed enough. And you did, you know, you, your future was yours. Culture says it's one or the other. The Bible says, no, 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 it's both. That your choices matter and that God's going to fix them. That's pretty doggone freeing. Because if you, by the way, believe that one or the other is true and, it's, and you are hard about it, it's this one or that one. If you are, it's hardcore, there, it doesn't even matter what I do, God's going to do what he's going to do, you, you are bitter and cynical and passive. But on the other hand, if you think that your future is yours, do whatever you want to do, and it's all up to you, 
if you really thought that through, you would never even get out of bed. When I was 21 years old, I knew exactly what I wanted with my life. I knew, I knew where I wanted to be. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew who I wanted to be with. And every single thing that I wanted, every single one, was completely wrong. And if I would have got what I wanted, my life would have been a disaster. And I look back at that, and I'll bet, what, 75% of what I wanted when I was 21 was wrong? What's terrifying is, what's the percentage now? I mean... I think it's better than 75%, but, but I'm old enough to remember my 30s where I think it was 50-50. I didn't want to be a pastor when I was 35, when I first floated the idea by my wife. A pastor friend of ours was like, you know, you're a pastor in this little Bible study. This is a church. And, and I, uh, I floated it by Shannon. You know, I don't know if you guys do this with your wives. I just sort of floated it out there. They're like, well, you know what Jamie says? He says that you're a pastor and this is a church. And, and she laughed and laughed and laughed. <laughs> she said, and I quote, you don't even like people. <laughs> How can you be a pastor? <laughs> we used to say uh, in the music business that if it weren't for artists and promoters, our job would have been perfect. <laughs> it would have been easy. <laughs> You know, it's one thing when you're selling widgets, but when your widget has an opinion. <laughs> I didn't want to be a pastor. I thought, I couldn't think of anything I wanted to do less than that. But here I am at 45 thinking, I can't think of anything I'd rather be doing right now. But that said, at 45, what am I now, 35, 65%? I don't know. But if it's all about my choices and that's the only thing that my future is being determined by, my choices, and that's it, that's terrifying. And the Bible, while this is academically difficult to grasp, it is utterly practical. And it works so well in our lives. That God has got it planned and it's figured out. Might I suggest this? Instead of praying for God to guide you like it's something that he gives, maybe we step back and realize guidance isn't something he gives, it's something he does. In the river, I had a lot of options. Maybe there's a reason why Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit as a river, because we were going where the river was taking us. We got off a little bit here, but by the end of the day, where we went wasn't where the boat wanted us to go. It wasn't even where the guide wanted us to go. It was where the river took us. And I hope that you, like me, can sit back and say, oh, wow, he's leading paradoxically. Like, I, you know, I, he's, I don't understand how to make those two agree with each other. He's leading not obviously on the river, but he is leading me. It's not what he gives. It's what he does. It's who he is. We are in the will of God by just stepping into his presence, by believing who he is. We have jumped into this river with this wonderful river that's going to take us exactly where it is. And the good news is, is we're not doing it alone. We're doing it with a guide. The guides that we fished with on this river were these 22-year-old uh, corn-fed, I don't know what they feed them in Montana, but it's a lot. <laughs> these kids were huge. I mean, like just big kids, like tall, 
One of them was six foot seven. And just a big young man. But let me tell you what this guide knew. He knew when to fish and when not to fish. He knew when to hold them. He knew when to fold them. We'd be on water, and he'd say, don't even waste your time here. There's no fish here. And you know what I did sometimes? Just in case. You know how many fish I caught in that moment? And I'm not even exaggerating, like none. But when he'd say, hey, well, hey, there's foam over there, and foam is home. They had all these rhyming things, these bromides. <laughs> Cast there, there will be fish there. And there was always fish there. He knew exactly and I had all the choice. It was up to me whether I was going to cast, up to me whether I wasn't. But it was him that was guiding it. So I'm literally floating on this river at, at peace, just like we are in God's will. There's a river that's heading. All these rivers are going where God wants them to go. But we're not doing it alone. We're doing it with the guide. I believe that guide is our Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say it would be? The Holy Spirit is your guide. He's going to comfort you. He's going to counsel you. He's going to, when it says he writes his will on your heart and on your minds, he's, he is there with us. You are not alone in this boat. And I promise you that some of you feel that way right now. You're not alone. As you're floating down trying to figure out, do I fish here? Do I there? Or are we going to get out here? Whatever. The guide is there to, to lead you to lead you through that. I think that it's important to know that the cost of that guidance for us, though, what James is telling us, to not doubt, what Romans 12 tells us, which is to offer yourselves a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing, acceptable unto him, verse 1, 2, and then by 3 it says, and then you'll know his will for your life is good, perfect, his pleasing will. Is it the cost of the guidance? I didn't have to pay our guy. They were paid for for us. But you know what I did pay? I didn't pay in money, but I paid in trust. I had to trust. Let me tell you one of the things I had to trust him with. Well, one was that when I got the bottle uh, that I was going to drink from and I couldn't get it open, we didn't have a bottle opener, he taught me how to do it with a Gatorade bottle. How's that for a DIY? So I had to trust him. He knew that we'd get the beverage. But I had to trust him when the hook got stuck in my arm. Because <laughs> that's going to happen. And there was this little trick where he's just, you got to put the, the hook, you got to press it into your skin, then take a little piece of string and pop it out. And I'm over there. Remember, Ashley, how you used to be at the doctor when you were little? Should I not say that? You're too old? Okay. It was like taking a pterodactyl to the doctor. <laughs> it was, And that was kind of me. I mean, I got, a, I got a hook all the way in, way past the barb. But my guide took a little piece of fish string, pressed the, the eye of the hook into the arm, and popped it out. And I, you know what? It didn't hurt. It was like some kind of fly fishing shaman voodoo. I, don't, I was like, how did you do that? But the guide knew, and I had to pay for it not with money, but with my trust. And I want to read to you something that uh, uh, Elizabeth Elliot wrote about what it takes to follow advice when she speaks about God's guidance. Here's what she wrote. 
The more we pay for advice, the more likely we are to listen to it. So when someone told us to rub some oil on the dog, we didn't pay anything for that advice, and I don't believe we rubbed any oil on it. So we, you, it's, it's optional when you get the Facebook post with all the advice. You know, it's optional because there's no cost in that advice. And advice from a consultant we've paid much for personally, we still have a choice. We can take it or leave it. And if you've been a consultant before, you know that that happens. If you've paid a consultant before, you've, you'd, sometimes you take it and sometimes you think they're crazy. But the guidance from God, she says, is different. First of all, we do not come to God asking for advice, but for God's will, and that is not optional. And God's fee is the highest one of all. It costs everything. To ask for the guidance of God requires abandonment. We no longer can say, if I trust you, you will give me such and such. Instead, we must say, I trust you. Give me or withhold from me whatever you uh, you choose. And as John Newton says, what you will, when you will, how you will. So what she's saying isn't that God's will doesn't mean if you come and say, look, I'll trust you if you do this, or if I trust you, then you will do this. What she is saying that God's guidance requires is I trust you whether you're giving it to me or not. I trust you with what you're giving to me. I trust you in what you're withholding from me. I trust The cost of the guidance has nothing to do with money and nothing to do with earning it and everything to do with saying, God, whatever it is, I'll do it. My friend Bobby Nelson calls it the I don't care prayer. Bobby uh, owns a a couple of car dealerships here in town and he said that uh, there's a, 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 I almost called it a campus. I'm I'm officially a pastor. He has a dealership in Cool Springs, and he said that it didn't look like it was going to work and it was going to be too much money, and he said, I just finally prayed, God, I don't care. If you want me to have this dealership, I'm totally happy to have this dealership. If you don't want me to have this dealership, I'm totally happy to not have this dealership. I don't care. I only want what you want for me. And he said, as soon as I prayed that prayer, that dealership came to pass. Nelson Mazda in Cool Springs was from a prayer like that. It doesn't always happen like that. Sometimes it doesn't happen. It's, it's where I came to all those years ago and when we were deciding on this, whether this was a church or not and these conversations we had, I finally had to come to the point and say, I don't even care, God. Whatever it is you want me to do, at this point, I'm just, I'm yours. And I trust that it'll be all right. So much so that I trusted and even thought for a while that maybe the reason God would call us to plant the church was not so that it would be around forever, that it might actually fail, and that was going to be okay too. In Hebrews 11, in the hall of faith, it's this guy conquered this city and this conquered that nation and this one conquered lions, and then there's not even a break in the sentence, and it says, and this one was eaten by lions and this one was killed by the sword. And both of them did it in faith. And I didn't know which one we were going to be. Were you sure that you wanted to plant a church? No, (laughs) I wasn't sure at all. If anything, I was embarrassed. I don't know how how long it took me on a plane to finally admit to somebody I was a pastor. You know that, you guys that travel, what do you do for a living? I'm a head of a nonprofit. (laughs) And it was true. I mean, that was what conduit mission was. But if I look back on it, it might have been me just saying, look, I don't even know. This may not even work. And so if I, if I you know, lay it all out there, who knows? 
but I was pretty sure. And I wasn't going to know ultimately until the end, but isn't that how it, with Joseph, what it was really like? Joseph didn't know. Isn't that what Genesis tells us? You remember the story? I mean, Jacob was just screwing up his family. He was uh, favoring Joseph, turning Joseph into a spoiled, rotten, petulant child. And the other boys were turning into murderous, bitter, and Jacob's a hot mess. And it wasn't until the end where Joseph was able to look back. And God only knows how long he cried out in those days and heard nothing and thought, probably just like you think, where is God in this? God was seemingly absent but he wasn't, which is how Joseph could say all those years later, what you meant for harm, Joseph, God intended for good. Your plans, your choices were yours, but God overruled them and created the good. He didn't know it till the end. And in the meantime, what we get to do is in faith say, I know you're working, God. I have to believe it. I believe it. I don't see it, but I believe it. And over years and over time, we believe it and we learn more. And, and in the end, we get to look back and say, oh, that was what you were up to. I get that now. And you wonder, why did God have to do it that way? I don't know. Maybe you don't. But like, God, did you seriously, why couldn't you just go Maury Povich on these guys and just get them in a room, let them throw chairs at each other? messed up father Jacob and you brothers and you. But how many of you ever, ever figured out you were a sinner by being told? You figured it out because it just didn't work. <laughs> Over time, you're like, oh, every time I try it this way, this doesn't work. Not because you were told, but because you experienced it. And I'll say to the other side of that, how many of you really know how much Jesus and God loves you, even though you've been told? I tell you what, every week it seems. But how many of you, you don't figure that out until you experience it for yourself? I would love it if, you know, we could be like touched by an angel where they figure out the problem every week in 45 minutes and, the, you know, the angel comes in and t does something and it's all fixed. And, but that's, not how, that's Hollywood. That's not how life works. And the reason I believe that we can trust in the, the river to take us and the guide to lead us is because even though I got to pay with my trust, Jesus paid with his life. I was in the boat. The boat was what got me there. The boat, which cost somebody a lot of money. If you guys that have fly fish might know this, but they pay a crap ton of money for these boats. A lot. And they don't even have motors on them. Somebody else paid for that boat for me. But I got to ride in it. And I began to understand what it really means to be in Christ. That I'm in him on this river. I'm in a boat that gave everything so that I could ride on this river. Because if you think about it, the idea of, oh, I'm going to give all myself for 100%. I'm going to roll completely over onto God and let him take care of all of this. How many of us have really actually done that ever? I'll bet nobody in this room has. I haven't, not totally. 
That's the whole tension of, I believe, Lord, help me with my unbelief. But there was one who did, and it was Jesus. When Israel was led in the desert, they were led by a cloud by night and a fire by day, but it all emulated, emanated, emanated from the altar because it was paid for by somebody else. God wasn't leading Israel because they were so spiritual. He was leading them because he loved them. And we're going to talk next week, of course, about, okay, what does it mean for wisdom? How do I make decisions? I mean, there are people who would say that this, the Bible isn't even God's word. They would say, even in this town, there are pastors teaching that this is just a way that God can speak to you, but can be overruled by culture or by what God's telling your heart. Or they're saying that God's word isn't, this isn't God's word, it's just the best that they knew at that time. And then now we have more understanding, we've progressively figured that out, which is also where we got Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, and Islam. But that's for next week. In the meantime, what I want you today is to know that if you truly believe that God's leading you, and you can really believe that I'm in this boat that is paid for by Christ on a river that is literally full of the Holy Spirit taking me with a guide that's going to not lead me astray, what would you do this week if you believed that? Would you cast where he told you to cast this week? You might think, but man, Darren, I don't want to screw this up. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to make the wrong choice. When I was a little guy, I, I felt called into ministry when I was in fifth grade. I was like a little preacher guy in my, uh, in my hometown. And it was just assumed that I was going to grow up and, and be a, a, a Bible teacher. They even said Bible teacher. That was the specific thing that they had fifth grade. But I got older and got more mullets and, and I wanted to go be, you know, I want to be a rock star. Now, I wasn't very good at that, and so I became a manager instead. But my mother, through all of my, uh, she, uh, she died six years ago today. Or how, 2008, however long that was, eight years ago. She used to always introduce me as her son, the minister. There was a period of time where she actually admitted I was in the music business when I worked with Sandy Patty. Oh, you know my son. He, he works with Sandy Patty. You know who that is. But for most of my life, like with whatever bands, you know, you'd, whatever, it doesn't matter. She didn't, she never, she was like, oh, it's my son, the minister. And you know how it is when you're 21, it's a good, you can start down a path of a career because you don't have a lot of overhead. So you can afford to be wrong. But the older I was getting, the more kids, you know, it turns out, our, you know, I don't know about your kids, but mine eat every day. Three times a day. Some of them eat a lot more than that. But they, they, you know what I'm saying? The older you get, it's harder to take a risk because you've got some people that need you to not be stupid. And I thought, well, maybe I took the wrong exit when I was younger. That I, I knew that there was a calling on my life. And I thought, well, maybe I just took the wrong exit. But it was like, like when you take a Y in the road... Every day you go, the further you are, and I couldn't find a way back. How could I ever go back up 17, 18, 20 years to where God called me to be? And I never said it out loud, but it was in my mind from time to time. I would be thinking, you know, what if I missed it? You know, what if I took the wrong 
exit. It was uh, a few years ago. I uh, we're on a horse riding retreat. We um, some pastor friends of mine. We would go up into the Big South Fork National Park. I don't know if you, anybody know where that is. Hundreds of miles of trails to ride on horses, and you can get lost in there if you don't have a guide. Our guide was Larry McMillan, and if you ever get a chance, I uh, encourage you to go with Larry. Get him in the morning before the vodka starts. By the evening. The horses are sober, but he, he gets a little into the vodka, and he's a lot of fun. Um, I swear, like one night, we were like on the midnight ride with the horses, and I'm thinking, Larry is drunk. Should we be doing this? But I'm really, no, the horses are sober, so I'm, and we'll just hang on, and we'll, but, but we're riding, and so this is, a, this is crazy Larry the horse guy. He literally has lived up there his whole life, and has figured out that he lives in a way that people will pay money to come live like he does for a few days. That's a career right there. And that one year, we had a guy named Freddie, Freddie Williams from St. Louis. Freddie was a city kid, grew up on the streets. Had never seen, to my knowledge, a horse in real life, let alone ride one. And so we had out one morning, and Freddie, and there was like seven of us, I don't know. And we got a couple miles on the trail, and there's trees everywhere. And if you've been, you know, you don't, you've got to have the guide. It is not obvious how to get home. But he tells Freddie, uh, Freddie's horse had thrown a shoe, and he tells Freddie, look, ride back to the barn. You've been riding three days. You're a pro now. Uh, and then get the shoe fixed and then just gallop back out here and you'll, you'll catch up with us. Now, I was a little nervous for Freddie. And Freddie was super nervous, but, you know, of course, he's a dude, so he's never going to let that show. So Freddie gets on his horse. He rides back to the barn, and we're kind of going, you know, trotting slowly. And we come to a fork in the road. And we went right on the fork. I'll never forget it. I thought, hey, Larry. How's Freddie going to know which fork to take? He's like, ah, he'll figure it out. Ha, 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 ha. So we keep going, and I kept kind of pestering him, because like, you know, I'm, I'm an artist manager still, so I'm still worried about the musician, whatever, missing the bus. And, hey, Larry, like, because this is the kind of place they send helicopters out to find people. They get lost for days, and they got to find people. How's he going to know? And he's like, oh, he'll figure it out. Ha, ha, ha. And it went for a while before I was like, Larry, look, should we go back and look for him? And I heard off in the distance, and it was to the left and up the hill. You see, at the fork in the road, it went left, but it went the high road, and I'll take the low road, and we'll get to whatever the rest of that song is. We're coming. Freddie was always going to find us because the road led him back. What Larry knew, what the guide knew that I didn't know, what the Holy Spirit, what my mom knew, was that the road was going to lead back. That I was on a river that was going one way and one way only. That I was in a boat that was paid for with the the price of blood. That I had a guide that if I would just trust him, would take me exactly where I needed to go. And that is a promise that we live out every day at Conduit. And I promise you that even if you don't know it, you're living it out right now. To recognize that what God gives and what God does, he's going to give you guidance, but he's doing it anyway, whether you know it or not. 
And if you've taken the wrong exit, might I encourage you to sit back and relax and trust in the guide. You're going to be okay. You're not alone. And just like Joseph, in the end, you'll know. And so today, for the practical side of things, we'll talk next week about what it even means to get wisdom, how to... I'm not going to come in here and tell you what to do with all your situations. That's not what God is saying. He's not telling you how to get more guidance. He's telling us how to become the kind of person that is guided. That's what we're going to talk about. But for today, I wanted to build a foundation to show you and to teach you and to hopefully get you to believe in your head and into your heart. He hadn't forgotten you, and his promises are secure. You have a guide and a boat and a river. And maybe this week, maybe all of us, maybe we just cast out a little bit this week and see what happens. Throw away that analysis paralysis. Who's the person that God is telling you to talk to that you didn't? What if I get it wrong? It'll be okay. He redeems all of our choices. Isn't that great? Isn't that amazing? Jacob gave his whole, uh, whole life trying to get one woman, Rachel. Give me Rachel. He worked for seven years. you remember this story? Fast forward seven years, he wakes up in the morning, and then it's not Rachel. Ah, got Leah. Got hosed. Finally, seven years later, he gets, he gets Rachel, gets what he's always wanted, and what does she do? She made him absolutely miserable. Give me children or else I'll die. Start a baby-making contest full of mistakes. The whole thing was full of mistakes. And at the end of Jacob's life, when he's Genesis 49, he says to his son, say, Joseph, you're this and this and that. But who does he say to be buried? He says, ask for me, bury me with... Now, I would have thought you would have, you would have said Rachel, wouldn't you? Uh, bury me with Rachel. He didn't. He said, bury me with Leah. You see, from Leah would come a son named Judah. And Jesus was a lion of the tribe of. Let that sink in. But what about Rachel? Was that a mistake? Who did Rachel give birth to? Joseph. God has this amazing ability to take all the broken pieces of your life and create the most beautiful mosaics. Hold on to that today, okay? Would you stand? I encourage you this week to make some decisions that you've been holding off on with faith that it's going to be okay. Don't get in the analysis paralysis of I can't because what if I mess it up? And next week we'll talk a little bit more about how the, specifically it works with the Urim and the Thummim and all, whatever. But for this week, Relax and rest in, in his sovereignty. Father, would you give us insight into your word today? I'm so thankful for what you did for me and my family. I'm living proof that I'm not stupid enough to get out of your will and I'm not smart enough to controvert your will, but you are sovereign over all. My choices matter, and yet you redeem and repair them all. Thank you for that promise today. From the youngest until the oldest, 
Could we learn from Jacob? Could we learn from Joseph? Could we learn from Darren? That you are sovereign and you're so good and you're so kind. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.